This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Royal Caribbean's Radiance of the Seas this week. Also, Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Apologize if the sound is a little bit off. I'm actually in Jackson Hole, Wyoming right now uh, recording this from a hotel room because it's Yellowstone week. So very excited about this. Jumping right to Sherry Laskin with Cruise News. Hey, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So a cruise port could remain closed until 2022. That's right. It's Victoria, British Columbia. And this could impact not only cruises to or from Alaska next year, but also Pacific Coastal Cruises. Victoria is one of two Canadian ports used by U.S.-based ships that need to make the required foreign port service call before docking back in America. Vancouver is the other choice on many Alaska cruises as a place for the short service call as well as embarkation. A 2021 reopening to the large cruise ships is under close scrutiny by Victoria, but first, Canada has to lift its closed borders ban before ports can even think about allowing any U.S. ships to dock. Two Carnival Corporation cruise ships have found a new home. Now, recently, we reported that four Hound America ships were sold. Um, two of them, the Amsterdam and Rotterdam, were purchased by U.K.-based Fred Olson Cruise Line. As these two ships entered into their new cruise family, Two existing Fred Olson Cruise Line favorites were, were retired, the Boudica and the Black Watch. Where the two ships will end up wasn't stated, and Fred Olson hopes to announce a return to service date fairly soon. And speaking of Carnival, Carnival Cruise Line announcing details and the name of an upcoming ship. Yeah, so another new Carnival ship gets an old familiar name. Carnival recently revealed that its next ship, Sister to the not-yet-launched Mardi Gras will be named Carnival Celebration, scheduled for delivery in 2022. It's the same year that Carnival Cruise Line celebrates its 50th birthday. Carnival Celebration will have many of the same innovative features found on Mardi Gras, including Bolt, the first roller coaster on a ship. And if anyone wonders what happened to the original Carnival Celebration, it's now sailing under the name of Grand Celebration for Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line, which offers short cruises to Freeport from the port of Palm Beach, Florida. And a former Carnival Cruise Line ship sadly awaits its fate. Yes, so the outcome for another one of the original Carnival Cruise Line ships, the Holiday, might not be as promising as Grand Celebration. Renamed Magellan, the Holiday was sold to Cruise and Maritime Voyages back in 2014, and as of last month, the Cruise Line announced the cancellation of all of its cruises, Eight ships are being sold, even as some crew members are still on board, awaiting their return home. The price tag for the holiday is a cool $12 million. So last week we talked about MSC returning to service. So we have some good news, but also a little bit of delay news as well. Yeah, so MSC Grandiosa completed its first sailing and returned to Italy last week without any coronavirus outbreak. The ship is now on its second seven-night cruise, and ports that it visits include Genoa, Civitavecchia, Naples, Palermo, and Valletta, Malta. But due to an influx of cancellations for MSC Magnifica, the next ship that they hope to launch, 
The cruise line has decided to simply cancel sailings until September 26th, well, next month. MSC Cruises limits its passengers to only those from the 26 Schengen countries, but many passengers who booked, in fact, the majority of passengers who were booked on Magnifica are either Italian nationals or residents. So with an itinerary that included three ports in Greece, the cruise line attributed visits to neighboring Greece as one of the reasons why there were so many cancellations, and a visit to Greece requires all passengers to undergo a COVID-19 test upon their return to Italy. Listener question this week, is it okay to tip at the beginning and the end of my next cruise? Hi, well, not everyone does this, but it is perfectly fine to tip your cabin steward at the beginning of the cruise. It's sort of like, for me, it's sort of like tipping a bartender on the first day, if you think that's the bar you'd like to return to throughout your cruise. And it's interesting, I've even heard of some people who'll give their room attendant um, an additional gratuity at, at the beginning, as we said, but also in the middle of the cruise. And of course, um, at the end of the cruise, either they'll give more cash or they'll leave their prepaid gratuities on their shipboard account. But by all means, if you feel like doing so, your room attendant and assistant will be much appreciative to receive a gratuity, to receive a gratuity at the beginning of the cruise as well. On the last night of my cruise, I spell out thank you in dollar bills on the bed. I mean, it's not original. I've seen a lot of people do it before, but they spend the time to do stuff for us. Why not, you know, do something for them? Yeah, and some people even um, buy thank you notes, note cards, yeah. and leave those mm -hmm. in the room. Yeah, I think yeah. that's nice. Or they'll, they'll put the extra money inside the thank you note in an envelope and then pass that to the, um, the room steward on their way as they leave the ship. So many things you can do, and they are so appreciative. Been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Doug, and have a great time in Yellowstone. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News skill so you can get daily updates anytime straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. A few months ago, John went on a nine-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Radiance of the Seas out of Sydney, Australia. He joins us on the line. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, excited to hear about Radiance, a, uh, a ship we don't hear much about, but an amazing ship. I think she was like specifically designed for Alaska back in the day with all the, the glass sides there. Before we get to the ship itself, though, we're going to take a step back, as we always do. Give us some pre-cruise thoughts. I mean, you're out in L.A. What made you want to take this cruise, this nine-nighter, out of Sydney, Australia? Well, I'd never been to Australia before, but I just heard nothing but amazing things about the country. And so since they're direct flights from Los Angeles, I figured, what the hell, why not? Mm -hmm. 
So it's a 16-hour flight from L.A., so it is a long, long flight. And then when we got to Sydney, there was a lot of traffic above the airport, so we had to just kind of hold up there for another hour before we finally landed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Got to Sydney, and the city is just unbelievably impressive. Sydney, like the the stops that we went to in in New Zealand, is a very clean city, very user-friendly city. Los Angeles, where where I live, is definitely none of those things. <laughs> so it was a nice change of pace. We happened to go at the same time that the fires were, were going on all through Australia. So mm. the air was very smoky. It smelled like there was a barbecue going on everywhere you went. People were already wearing the mask because of the smoky air. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just an impressive city that if you've never seen at some point in your life, you should. When you fly over there, are you doing like in, because like there's a time difference and everything, is it considered an overnight or a day before, day after? How does it work with the timing from LA to Sydney? The flight is an overnight flight. So you leave LAX at like 11 o'clock at night or midnight, sometime Mm -hmm. around then. So you get on the plane and and you imbibe, at least I did, (laughs) and you have your meal. And then a lot of people just started watching movies and then would go to sleep. And then by the time you got there, it was daytime. I was tired. I tried not to go right to bed when I got there. So Mm -hmm. I I stayed up as long as I could, had an early dinner, went to bed. I was perfectly fine. The trouble was coming back home. It took a while to readjust. Yeah, for sure. So you make your way to the cruise pier over in Sydney. How was embarkation for you? Very easy. And again, that being a user-friendly city, you can take the subway from the airport or from where the hotels are in various points in the city and take it directly to the cruise ship terminal. Just like when you're leaving, you can get right on the subway at the cruise ship terminal and be right at the airport. Uh, It's right near the opera house. So Mm -hmm. the iconic part of Sydney is exactly where the cruise ship terminal is, which was really nice when the cruise ship took off because you sail right by the opera house and the number of pictures you can take that are just breathtaking uh, is off the charts. Yeah, I imagine it has to be surreal. It's kind of like, I guess, like when you see the Pantheon or the Colosseum in Rome in textbooks your whole life or on TV and you actually get to sail in front of the opera house and actually see it with your own eyes. I bet it's a, I bet it's a sight to see. Oh, it really is. And, and to see it up close, it's apparently made from the same materials as the nonstick pans. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can fry an egg and it won't stick on the <laughs> opera house. But to see it up close and to see it from the point of view of the water is certainly something you want to do when you go to Sydney. How long did it take you from curb to ship? Not long at all. It was one of the more efficient cruise ship terminals I've been to, but they all seem to be getting better every time you do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't wait in line. I got right up to the agent, and it took maybe less than five minutes to get everything in the computer. And then I was on the ship five minutes later. All right. And you make your way on board Radiance. What were your first impressions? Well, I love that class of ship. Uh, the Jewel of the Seas is my favorite, and, and this is is extremely similar to the Jewel of the Seas. So uh, I was traveling with people who uh, our first cruise together as a group was on the Jewel of the Sea, so it felt like being back home. You make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book, and what did you think of it? This one was a suite. It was above a junior suite. I don't recall exactly what the classification was, but it had a wet bar and it had some space. The cruise was booked, I think, 
15 months in advance. So the thought was, let's just splurge. When am I going to be in Australia again? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a great room. It was exactly what you wanted. On that particular cruise, you go by the, the sounds. Mm-hmm. So we wanted a big space to entertain as you go by the, the sounds. So we just have our cocktails and have our snacks and, and a nice place to enjoy the sound. Since it was a suite, was it like uh, a forward or aft-facing suite or anything like that? We were in the middle of the ship. Okay. It was the first time I've ever been in a, in a, in a suite of that size. Mm-hmm. And you certainly get spoiled in a room like that. I don't know if I would insist on doing it unless there was something like the sounds, or I guess maybe if you're going to, to Norway, the fjords and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But if, if you're going to spend a lot of time in the room looking outside the balcony, it's definitely something you should consider. Let's talk about dining for this nine-night cruise, and we'll hit specialty first. Did you do any um, specialty dining or get any dining packages? We did the three-night package, and on this ship, we did Chops, Izumi, and Samba Grill. And it was very consistent. It was consistent with what you would get back in the United States. Chops is my favorite, so that was that was great. And they just overwhelm you with food. There's no way you could finish all of what they put in front of you. But the quality was was all very good in all three restaurants. What is your go-to at Chops? I get the filet. I get the the shrimp cocktail, mm-hmm. which the shrimps are the size of my fist. Uh-huh. I get the filet. And I used to get the mud pie, but they took that off the menu, unfortunately. Okay. How about the buffet? Because buffets were actually a thing back when you were sailing. What did you think of the experience in there? It was under control. There are some routes that you go on where you go into the buffet and it's just helter-skelter. It's people everywhere. It's chaos. The buffet on this ship, however they had it situated, and it may just have been the audience where they weren't a buffet crowd, But I never had to wait. I was always in and out. The quality of food was always very good. But I never go to the buffet for dinner. And I typically don't go for breakfast either. I like having breakfast delivered via room service Mm -hmm. and just eat it on the balcony. So I pretty much only go there for lunch. And it was fine. For the main dining room, um, what time dining did you have? And what did you think of it? We had early dining, which is typically the default we are uh, diamond cruisers now on Royal, and this was, mm-hmm. a, this was a, I think, my first or second cruise, maybe my second cruise as a diamond cruiser. And it's fun to go into the lounge and talk to people who are passionate about cruising and have a cocktail and have a few hors d'oeuvres. And I just felt like we were always rushed, mm-hmm. and we were, we were constantly late to dinner and trying to get there on time, and and that sort of thing. So I, I would try a, a late uh, start next time. Are the hors d'oeuvres and drinks in the Diamond Lounge, are those like a set time from like five to eight or something? Or is it always open around the clock whenever you want to just pop in there? The lounge is always open. They only put the food out at a certain time. I think it's 4.30. Okay. And I love that sort of food. It's mm-hmm. like being in Costco at 11 o'clock in the <laughs> Right. <morning. laughs> yeah. So as far as the entertainment on this nine-night cruise, what did you think of it? Entertainment was okay. It, it, I'm of the belief that they had entertainment for seven days that they stretched into nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the nights, I think, the main show was The Quest. 
and they took things that would just normally be like add-ons uh, on any normal cruise, and they made them the, the, the main show in the, for that particular night. The true entertainment on this cruise came from, there were uh, a few people from California, fellow, mm-hmm. fellow Californians who didn't disappoint, um, who were on the cruise. <laughs> who had all kinds of drama that was, that was just spilling over all over the place, the bars, the casinos, the restaurants. Um, it was, it was uh, a couple, and it was uh, the, the woman's boss who was there. Mm-hmm. And I guess they had some sort of arrangement that, that <laughs> the woman's boss, who happened to be a little person, was going to be able to... Um, indulge with with the woman and then as soon as the boat took off they reneged on the deal and the boss was just as angry as he could possibly be so there was there were confrontations and there was stalking and it was just all over the place so i stayed out of the cell room and i just watched that yeah, it sounds like it'd be uh, quite the sight to see with all, all those, the Californians and the mix of people and the, and the booze, fun stuff there. How about like music, <laughs> music around the ship? What did you think about that in the bars and the public spaces? This is one of the reasons why I love this classification of ship, because you go on the big ones, you go on the Oasis-class ships, and those bars are just gigantic. And you, don't, you never really feel like you have your own little clubhouse. On the Radiance class ships, the bars are intimate and you kind of get to pick which ones you like and you know the bartenders and you know the bands that you like. And the music was great. The one thing that was that was irritating, it was a Christmas cruise, so everyone was decked out with, with Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. And they would do these trivia games. And the trivia games would start after the bands would get off or after some other form of entertainment was was going on. And the people doing the trivia were just absolutely insistent on complete silence. <laughs> you'd, get, you'd get the crowd that was in there who was, you know, having a good time, listening to the band, talking to their friends, just, you know, enjoying their vacation. And then, and then the trivia woman would come in and start, you know, slamming rulers on death. Did y'all win at all? Or, what's, or did y'all like not take part in it because it was a little too uh, regimented? No, I didn't win anything at all, although those keychains sure did look good. Uh, I did get yelled at many times. Nice. Uh, Let's see. Let's talk about the days at sea. How were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? It wasn't bad at all. Part of the reason was it was was cool on certain days, so people weren't piling into the pool. I don't think I went into the pool once. Mm -hmm. I did the hot tub a few times, but I don't think I did the pool once. You could do it if you wanted to, and you were, you're fearless about the temperature, but people weren't piling into the pool like they would in a Caribbean cruise. So I never felt like I was overwhelmed on the deck or anywhere else. Again, the, the, the issue was in the bars where the, where the trivia people fighting with the, <laughs> with the music people. As far as the casino, how was it with the smoke situation, You know, whether inside or around the casino? There were two noticeable differences between the Australia cruise and what I'm used to here. The Australians culturally do not tip. It's just something there that's included in the price. Mm-hmm. So when they get on the ship, that wasn't something that they did. So if you were an American and you tipped, you got 
great service. That was at all the bars, that was at the restaurants, wherever it was that you went, they took care of you first. The other thing that was different about this cruise is that they didn't gamble. So you would go into the casino, and I like to gamble, and you would be there, you felt like, by yourself. There would be no one at the table, there wasn't a lot of noise coming from the slot machine. Mm-hmm. It was just a handful of Americans who were in the casino, but everyone else was doing other things. Did your fellow Californians make it into the casino? Oh, yes. And <laughs> uh, the boss didn't have a good night at the roulette wheel. <laughs> and he was pounding those fists of fury on the table. Oh, Chips were flying everywhere. Josh, Let's talk about the ports of call you hit on this nine-night cruise. So what we'll do here is give us the port of call, give us a highlight, and then move to the next one. So there were only three okay. uh, on a nine-night cruise because you did pass by the sounds, and there mm-hmm. were uh, there were at sea travel days, and and it took a while to get to some of the ports. So it was Picton, Dunedin, and Wellington. Picton was a wine city, and they had this quaint little steam train that you took from the cruise ship terminal to the area where they had the wineries, mm-hmm. and we tasted wine and, and had a wonderful time, and then came back on the ship. The next one was Dunedin, which is the chocolate capital of New Zealand. Cadbury has a massive factory over there that they have since closed down, and they are turning it into a hospital. But they have any number of other chocolate factories that were there. So we took a tour of the chocolate factory, and I was expecting Willy Wonka, (laughs) and I got Walter White. (laughs) It looked like a chemist lab. Okay. And what was strange about New Zealand was that you would take the tour of the chocolate factory and they spent all of the time telling you about where they get the beans and how they treat the people in the country where they buy the beans and the sustainability of the water in that particular area. And all the Americans were just sitting there looking at each other thinking, all right, now tell us how you shape it like a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for them, it was, you know, they were very proud of like, you know, how they obtained all their materials and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that sort of thing. So that was, that was interesting. Nice. Wellington is the capital of New Zealand, and it's a hilly city right on the water. And it, as a Californian, it reminded me of an extremely clean version of San Francisco. And it was just something that other Californians who, who remember San Francisco from you know, back in the in the 50s and 60s said, oh, my God, this reminds me of the city by the bay. So I have a question because a couple of, you know, a couple of times during the interview, you've mentioned the sounds. What exactly is the sounds? Well, it's this narrow passageway that the ship goes through uh, where you see this breathtaking topography of waterfalls and wildlife, birds and and, and all of that. And apparently it's very difficult to have the right conditions so the boat can go through and you can see the sounds. We lucked out and it happened. I was told that, that in, in preceding cruises, they get down there and they say, oh no, it, the water's too rough, we can't do it, and then they have to turn around. But it's, it's definitely something that I'm very happy I saw. It was very, very cold though, you had to bring a jacket. In December, there was a volcano eruption in New Zealand and, uh, I guess, White Island, but it, was, it wasn't your ship, I know. But were you guys involved with any kind of, like, helping out or aid or anything like that um, from, what was it, Ovation, I believe, it was where the passengers were from? 
Yeah, I think there were passengers and crew members on the ovation that mm. were injured and or killed. They were essentially doing the same itinerary as us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they continued on. I think they were a 12-night cruise and we were a nine-night cruise. Okay. There were advertisements all over the cruise ship for this particular volcano. Wow. Come see the active volcano, do the excursion. The people that we were traveling with went to New Zealand before Australia. They rented a, a motor home, and they actually have a picture of themselves standing right in front of the volcano where it blew exactly a week later. So that was kind of eerie. They had an announcement on the ship telling mm-hmm. us that Royal Caribbean passengers and crew members were killed, and they did a moment of silence. But we were largely in the dark of the details in terms of what happened, who was killed, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What was really strange was that it made national news or international news. Yeah. So all of our family and friends and co-workers who knew we were going on a cruise out of Australia to New Zealand were hearing that there was a volcano eruption and Royal Caribbean passengers were killed. So on the day that we got Wi-Fi and I checked my messages, my email box was full, my text messages were blowing up, my voicemail was blowing up. Everyone wanted to make sure that we were all okay. Can you imagine, man, just being on the shore and then that thing exploding and there's nowhere to go? Yeah, I, the stories, we did get some stories were, were pretty gruesome. Where yeah. I mean, people were literally jumping into the water mm-hmm. trying to swim away from the lava as it was approaching them. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was pretty dramatic. Yeah, wild. So you make your way back to Sydney. How was disembarkation? Easy. It was easy to get off the ship. It was easy to get on the subway. And you were at the airport less than 30 minutes later, right in the terminal. If every city were that easy, more people would cruise. Yeah, agree. So any first-time tips to offer for either cruising out of Australia or doing this New Zealand itinerary? As someone who typically does Caribbean cruises, it was fascinating and wonderful to try something different. You kind of get in the same routine of doing the same itineraries, doing the same ships. It's good to go outside your comfort zone every now and then because you'll find a whole lot of things that you like. So if you're on the fence about going to a different location or you may not want to sit on a long plane trip, bite the bullet and do it. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you? Seeing Australia for the first time. Mm. It's a place I've always wanted to go to. It's a country I've always been fascinated with. And I love cruising. So to combine seeing a place that I've always wanted to see, and and you can throw New Zealand in there too, because that was wonderful, with the comfort and the joy of cruising, it was a home run. A question I've been asking a lot recently is, what are your thoughts of cruising once it resumes? I hope they don't make too many draconian changes that will take away what we like. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain things that, I look forward to to sitting in the bars and listening to live music. I look forward to sitting at a table and playing blackjack. I look forward to to any number of things on the cruise ship that, that could potentially be on the chopping block or be modified in ways that we don't recognize it. And I hope they don't do that. I hope they don't they don't take away the magic of what all of us became enchanted with at some point in our cruising career. I understand that certain modifications have to be made, and that's just the reality of the world that we live in. But 
don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Agree. In closing, your final thoughts of Radiance of the Seas. I'm very happy I did it. I would absolutely do it again. And Australia, I would imagine, is going to be a place I cruise out of at some point in the not-too-distant future. All right. been talking with John Phillips about his nine-night cruise to Sydney, Australia, aboard Radiance of the Seas. John, are you still broadcasting from the house, or are you back in the studio now? I'm broadcasting in exile from my living room in Palm Springs, California. I expect to be here the rest of the year. And it is now 118 degrees in Palm Springs, so I'm also trying not to melt. I hear you. John, thank you so much for stopping by, my friend. Good catching up. Thank you, and likewise. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got here, buddy. Ba-ba-ba-da-ba-da. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.